0: But I want to talk to you guys today about the topic of no other gospel. No other gospel. Because I believe, and in fact I know, and I, I, before I get started, I want everyone under the sound of my voice today to know that I'm not up here trying to berate. That's not my heart this morning. My heart is truly full of love. I've been thinking about this message for a while. I told my wife yesterday, I said, Swe, and, and this is not sounding to me sound braggadocious, but I told my wife. The other day, yesterday, I told her, I said, what bothers me the most about messages like today is that anybody can get up and give a good sermon. Really and truly, anybody can. You take the best speaker, they can do it. I read an article where a guy in France was the leader of a church, and they were listening to him enough, and they started realizing they don't think he even believes in the Bible. And when the people came and questioned him, he didn't. He said, no, I don't. It just this is a paying job, and I know the Bible, and I can present it well. This this has been about a couple months ago that I read this, but it was a small church over in France, and they were talking about this. Anybody can get up and give a good sermon, but not a lot of people can stand up and deliver the truth when it needs to be delivered. I'm not bragging on me. I'm just saying that's the burden of preaching that people don't really realize, because anytime you aim to really build people up, there's going to be somebody who thinks you're really just being cold hearted. And I want you to know in this morning, I'm not being cold-hearted. I say everything I say in love because I care for the church. And I care for you and me and all of us as Christians to be what the Bible says we are, good, we are called to be. Amen? And not to fall short of it. Because there's a lot of people who depend on their church membership to get them into heaven and they fall short. But I want to talk today about no other gospel because we're living in a time and in an age where right now the gospel is being distorted right before our eyes. That we're preaching a gospel that takes away the truth of Christ. It preaches the grace side of Christ perfect. That God is full of grace and love and mercy. But how many of you know in John 1.14 it says that Christ was full of grace and truth. We love to preach the grace in the church, but we don't want to preach the truth anymore along with it. A couple months ago, a young man came to me and asked where he'd start reading the Bible. And I just told him Matthew. And I said, but let me know what you think about it. Because I knew he had grown up hearing the words of Christ, but never reading them for himself. And when he came back to me, he said, Christ was really direct with people. He said he he loved, but he was really cut and dry. He didn't make any wiggle room. And today we in the church, I don't want to say we in the church, but as a whole in churches across America, the gospel is being distorted just to get people in, just to get people into the house. But I'm here to tell you that if if I invited you on a trip and then we got all the way there and I said, oh, and I need $1,000 for the round trip gas, you would be pretty mad at me, right? People are going to be really mad when they stand before God and they wasn't taught the other side of this. Far be it from me that I should ever have to stand before God and look at Him and look at you and know that I didn't tell you the truth, that I didn't give you the full gospel. And in today's world, they are compromising the gospel to fit people instead of giving the full gospel that changes people. The gospel, Paul says it best in Romans 1.16. I wasn't going to come out, this, out the gate with this already, Sabrina. I'm sorry, but if you can pull it up. Romans 1.16 says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It'll come up. I'm sorry. I kind of threw a curveball on her here because this is actually supposed to be towards the end of the message. But he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. Do you understand there when it says, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. When you preach only half the gospel and not the whole gospel, you're taking the power on yourself. And you think that what God has already put in place is not effectual. It pushes people away and it just doesn't include enough people. But if you want to produce genuine salvation, you need to preach the whole gospel because it is the power of God, not of man, to draw people. This is the exact reason Jesus Christ said, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Because that sword is a dividing line that makes you choose. It says, I'm either going to be for him or against him. But I pull our text today from Galatians chapter 1. And if you can, we're going to go, if we can, go to uh, Timothy 3 and put a thumb there or a piece of paper there. Because we're going to go to that next. And then let's go to Galatians chapter 1. I'm going to give you guys a few seconds to get there. In Galatians chapter 1, starting in verse 6, it says, and I'm in the New King James Version, so if you're on your phones and you're wanting to follow along, that way I'm in the New King James Version. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you and the grace of Christ to a different gospel which is not another, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you other than what we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. This is a pretty hard statement. But Paul here is driving point, haunt, the, the, the idea, well, the fact that there is no other gospel by which men can be saved except through Jesus Christ and him crucified. And here's the thing, we forget the commands he, he has in his word as well. We know the Christ and him crucified part. We got that down. woo woo-hoo. We're good. He died for me. But we forget his commands that he also has in those red letters. And in context right here in Galatians, the church of Galatia had people who were trying to come in and tell them because where they were at, obviously we know a lot of these areas were around Roman providences, and Romans were very big, Greek culture, Roman culture, they were very big on philosophy and Stoics, and they really liked good people who could talk well, bring ideas about well. Kind of sound like America right now? They were good salesmen. They would just sit around and conjure up ideas and then go and stand before people and present them in such a way that people said, How can this not be true with the way these men speak? And so people were coming into the church of Galatia and trying to tell them, You don't really have to follow just faith in Jesus Christ, but you also take the works of the law as well. They were trying to integrate more things in there you say well why are you using this for today because this is happening today where people are starting to say you really don't have to take that part of the message of Jesus that part that says that if you look at a woman with lust in your heart you've committed adultery you don't really have to don't don't worry about that you know you're just window shopping right that's what they say you're just window shopping Or the part that says that when you divorce your wife and then she remarries, you've made her commit adultery. Or the part that says man with man doing indecencies, women with women doing indecencies. When it talks about committing murder, idolatry, whatever, we leave all that out for the sake of getting people in. And look, I'm all about getting people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. But let me tell you this, that if it does not produce genuine repentance in a life, what are we doing? We're just making people feel good and that's the same thing that the Buddhists do and everyone else. They just try to get you to get some good mental state. We must preach the whole gospel and, and I kind of put as a subtitle on my thing that three things the church must do to reclaim the gospel in the world today. If you would now flip over to Timothy, 2 Timothy 3. Before I read Second Timothy, I'd like to give you guys some context because i like to back up some stuff with factual evidence. You know, I don't want you to think that, again, understand my heart. I love you. But I'm a, I'm a believer in this entire word from front to back. There are preachers right now who are preaching that we need to get rid of the Old Testament. And if you don't have the Old Testament, you don't have the New Testament. I believe this thing from cover to cover, and I, and I feel like there's no wiggle room there because when I read it, it's hard for me to read a scripture when God brings out a sin in my life. It's hard for me to just shut my Bible and walk off and act like I didn't see that. So I want y'all to know this hit me too because I've been one to only talk about the things that'll make people feel good. I've been that guy, and I've seen that gospel that I was preaching, which like Paul said, is not another gospel really. I've seen it be... Not have no effect on those people. But I've seen time and time again when you preach the true gospel, the Holy Spirit come in and break a man's heart. But I want to tell you this story before I read 2 Timothy because I want to give you guys some context and I'm gonna be quick with this because I don't wanna I don't wanna bore anybody to death. I don't want to just ramble too much. A couple of weeks ago, my wife and I had a phone call with an individual who decided they asked us, will we be willing to talk to them? And me and my wife said, well, you know, if we're wanting to be the church and somebody wants to give their opposing view with us, who are we if we don't try to present the gospel, you know? So many times in the church, we, we know the word, but when someone with an opposing view comes to talk to us, we go, oh, no, 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 no. If you don't believe, I don't want to talk to you. No, that's your time. If you've been studying the word, that is your time to present the gospel to them. Are they going to receive it and accept it every time? no. But shame on you if you cower down and say, no, no, I'm not going to have anything to do with it. Because we should be studying and be able to present this word. But the individual was nice and we said, Lord, if it's your will, let it happen. Set the stuff up. And it happened. And they called us. And I'm just going to kind of be generic because it is my hope that he listens to some of these sermons and this person listens to us and comes to Christ. I am in no way. Here's the other thing we got to get right in the church. I'm in no way. I did not. Did, he did not come away saved from that conversation, but I did, we didn't leave mad at him either. Right. We left saying, Lord, please still prick this man's heart because we love him. We don't want to see one soul, no matter what their sin is, we don't want to see one soul separated from you. And as we talked, he started asking our opinion on certain topics and sins and things like that, and he started talking about how the church, and he brought up some good points, And he started forming his own idea because he had his own experience with Jesus that was apart from the Word. And my wife and I kept referring back to the Word every time. We kept going, but the Bible says this. And he'd say, but you're still saying that these things are a sin. How can you literally look at that and say that these things are a sin? And I finally, we asked him, we said, how can you read the Bible and say that they're not a sin? How can anybody read the Bible and say these things are not a sin? And he just said, well, let me ask you this question then. And we said, okay. He said, do you think you'll be held more accountable on the day of judgment for pushing people away or misrepresenting him? And I said, we'll be held more accountable for misrepresenting him. But the problem is in America, when you represent representing the right way, it pushes people away. That is the truth. And he said, I guess it's just best we agree to disagree. And we said, that's fine. But we want you to know we've enjoyed the conversation and we're open for more. But I was so amazed when we talked to him because he kept referring to his experience and these emotions that he was having in certain life experiences and not basing any of it off the Bible that's written about the God that he believes in. He never once would go back to this. He would grab a word here and a word there, but he would never go back to this. And I'm here to tell you the reason why I'm telling you this. I didn't expect any different from him. I didn't. But I expect different from people in the church who are being led astray every day by another gospel across America. Because somebody can stand up there and present this a certain way and only grab certain scripture and twist things. That's why the church is failing right now. Let me rephrase that. The church is not failing. The church is thriving. But that's why so many people, wolves in sheep's clothing, are getting called out now. And I'm saying this because I'm telling you times are coming where it's going to be worse. I'm not saying it's going to be today. I'm not saying it's going to be this year. But eventually we know by the end of this book it's going to get rough. But in 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 9, it says, But know this, that in the last day perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Some of y'all are saying amen on that one unthankful, unholy. I'm just saying the Bible does say something about laying on of hands, though, if you have a problem there. (laughs) (laughs) But it does say don't be too quick to do it, though. So don't don't do it in your anger now. (laughs) Verse 3, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. That's a big one having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into household and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, I'm preaching this message today to tell you that there is no other gospel And we're living in a world where these people are becoming preachers in churches right now and they're leading people away by the groves and it's time for the church to stand up in love now but firm, be firm and stern on this and keep the gospel, hold the line and present it in its entirety to others, hear this, and to ourselves when we read. We cannot give others what we don't have ourselves. And I have three things the church must do to bring the gospel, or I have in my notes, the truth back into this world. And number one is the first thing we have to do is we must establish truth. In the world today, you hear this term probably quite often. They say truth is relative. And if you've watched the news here lately or any way of life, there is no solid truth anymore. Whether we're talking about what the, the, and I'm just being honest here. Look, whether we're talking about the, 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 uh, the virus, one day it doesn't affect this group. The next day it affects the other group. The next day we're all doing. The next day we're all safe. I'm being, but I'm being real with you. It, with, but this is with everything. Human biology. Nothing's in stone now. You can be whatever you want to be. There's no such thing as truth anymore. It's just like mind anarchy going on right now in the world. No one has a truth that's always evolving. Somebody will have an opinion here. Lord knows, y'all know our politicians, Republican and Democrat. Ten years ago, they'll say this. The next year, they'll say this and act like the other one never happened. There is no truth anymore. We just fly by the seat of our pants and whatever we feel, that's what we go with. And in the church, we're doing the same thing. Which is why we have so many issues arising in churches across America. Thank God they're not running rampant here. But there are so many churches that have these issues running wild. In fact, when you read the Bible, when Paul's letters to the churches, it's usually always bad. He's never really writing to them, really commending them. It's always, who bewitched you? Right here, I just read to y'all in Galatia where he said, who? I'm so shocked that you're already turning away from the gospel that you received. In 2 Timothy 3 chapter 3 starting in verse 16 I'm going to use the screen on here because I don't have my bible marked all out so I'm going to take a minute to wait on Then but in 2 Timothy chapter 3 starting in verse 16 it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine which is teachings that we believe in our foundations for reproof correcting and also again for correction for instruction in righteousness verse 17 That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. If the church wants to establish truth again in the world and in our lives, we must establish that this is the inspired word of God. And there is no reforming needing to be done to this book. There is nothing that needs to be added, nothing that needs to be taken away. There is nothing. I heard someone once tell me, they said, don't you think that book's outdated? I mean, look what it says here. No, I don't think this book is outdated. In fact, when I put it to use in my life, I've seen it show true time and time again. If you've been in the faith long enough, you've seen it. Augustine once said, the truth is like a line. Let it out. It'll defend itself. We must understand in the church that this is our foundation for truth. Not what someone said on TV. Not what, so, what I'm just gonna be honest here. I've been holding back a little bit, but I'm just gonna be honest. Not what Oprah, Steve Harvey, or anyone else says. And I used to like, I used to like Steve Harvey. Steve Harvey had some. Some of y'all like, oh, I know how bad Steve Harvey was. He had some clean material. He had some clean material that we from time to time we'd listen to. I, I tried to stay away from the other stuff. But back in the day. But I I did hear about recently, and I know he's got a nationwide radio show that a lot of guys and people listen to because it's funny, but I know he has a lot of people call in for spiritual questions. And he has already said that there's many ways to God. There's many ways to God. A lot of people profess God, but not a lot of people profess Jesus Christ. And in John 14, chapter 14, verse 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We must in the church reestablish our truth. Because if we are going to win the loss, if, if we ourselves are going to make it into heaven, because how many of you know the Bible says broad is the way that leads to destruction, narrow and difficult is the way that leads to life. It's real difficult if we're not building it on the truth of God's Word. If we're not reading this Word daily, letting it prick our hearts. Look, let me tell you something. I know I'm up here talking, but I don't read this word and leave from it happy all the time. I promise you. I have to stay in Romans chapter 3 and Romans chapter 4 where it talks about by the works of the law, you are not justified. Well, that's Galatians actually, but Romans 3 says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from works of the law. And then I thought, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Because if you would have saw what I just said to that person on the phone out there, those people at work. We must reestablish truth in our life, and our truth is this word. Our truth is Jesus Christ, and as I said earlier, it is His commands. And one truth we love to neglect a lot of times in the church I'm talking to the church here, I'm not talking to the world, I'm talking to the people in the church right now. One truth we commonly neglect is a lifestyle of repentance, a pursuit of holiness. That lifestyle of repentance, see, that's to me, that word, and I'm going to hang out here for a little bit, so please, if you can, stick with me. That one word, I believe, is the main thing that is left out of the gospel in today's message. In today's message, you hear all about how Christ forgave the woman caught in adultery. Do you all mind throwing that up? John 8, 11. I think I gave that, I'm pretty sure I gave that to you all. John 8, chapter 8, verse 11. We know all about the woman caught in adultery. We know all about the part where it says, neither do I condemn you. The part where Jesus, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, they're gone. And he says, well, neither do I condemn you. We love to preach that message, and I do too. Is it up there? Okay. But yet we love to leave off these last couple words. Go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. In the church, we have stopped, not at this church, not at this church. There's one thing I'll brag on in this church, and it sounds like I'm being arrogant, but I'm being proud because I've got a child in this church, and I'm proud to let her be taught in this church because I've seen our teachings here, and this church preaches repentance. But a life with Jesus Christ that does not produce in you a love for God and a a gradual hate for sin, a want for a better way of living, To repent, which means turn from the wrong way and go to the right, which means a change of heart and mind from the world to Jesus Christ. If your walk is not producing in that, producing those fruits in you, I would be willing to say you need to reevaluate your life and your repentance. We leave off these go and sin no more. Now obviously Jesus was not saying go live a life of perfection But we know that a life of perfection is not attainable. That's why Christ was perfect. And I'm just throwing this out there. Jesus Christ is not telling him to go and be perfect. But there is a major difference, which is why you see this word brought up in the Bible very many times. Practice. You see this brought up very many times in the Bible. In fact, I'm going to read it at the end. It's in John chapter 3 where he says those who practice evil... Whenever he talks about the men, when he says, many will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, he says, you who practice iniquity in some versions and others, he says, you workers of iniquity. In Revelation, he even mentions, you practice evil. Practice is the continual appliance of something in your life. You practice for an event. You practice for a sport so you can get better at it. People who practice sin are people who are continually applying it without any want to stop it because they're practicing it daily. Again, there's a difference between struggling and practicing sin in your life. That fellow we were on the phone with, he actually brought this up. And he said, what about the woman caught in adultery? God didn't condemn her. I said, yeah, but he still said, go and sin no more. When you encounter Christ, he changes you. He makes you not like that. Look at that sin the same So we must establish truth and today we are establishing that our truth is this word and our truth is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Number two, if we're going to establish this truth to the world, this goes along with repentance, we must be willing to live by that truth. We can't just know the truth and not live by it. If I went and applied for a job today and I said, And they said, what are your qualifications? And I said, oh, man, I can build a tractor. Just give me one bolt, and I can go from here with it. They said, well, you're hired. And then I said, but I'm not going to do it. They'd look at me crazy and say, well, what are you even doing here? Because I thought, I'm just telling you that I know how. And I just, I need a job. You guys offered a job, and I'm telling you I know how to do it. That is the way so many of us approach this gospel with Jesus Christ. We know what Jesus says. We know what he commands but yet we don't want it enough to change our lives. That's right. We don't want to commit to it enough to let it actually infiltrate and start to do some work in us. John 14, verse 15. Man, I hope these are in order with y'all. Heck yeah, all right. If you love me, keep my commandments. Then in verse 23 to 24, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words, and the words which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now, I want you all to key in on this. But the Father who sent me. Remember, they're saying there's many, there's many ways to God. That's what they're saying. But Jesus is saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Then he's even going this far to say this. And the words I'm speaking, they're not my own. They're my father's. So if you think there's many ways to God and you're not following mine and listening to my words, you ain't coming to God. Church, we have got to understand. Look, I'm not preaching a life of perfection. I'm not. Trust me. Because you can't be perfect. If you were able to be perfect, Christ died for nothing. I'm not preaching a life of perfection, but I am preaching a life of repentance and dependence on God to come in and change you and use you and make you walk as he walked. I am talking about a life of intentional effort to be the man or woman of God that he has called you to be. And if the church wants to change the world, we have to have this in our church. We must, as the church, get back to the truth of the word. And I keep stressing this because it breaks and shatters my heart. I'm telling you guys a bunch of stories because these are true events. I literally watched two pastors have a conversation about three months ago. They produced a video, and it was called The Progressive Pastor and The Conservative Pastor. Why they had to politicize it like that, I guess it's whatever because everything's got to have a title. But... The conservative pastor believed everything the Word said. And he talked to the, what they called the progressive pastor. And he was talking about his ideas and his things. And the, guy on the, and the other guy kept saying, but what does the Word say? And guys, I was so floored when I heard this. The, the other preacher literally says, I reject any thought that it has to be that way. His words were, I reject it wasn't a simple, you know, I don't know if I believe that way. Because a lot of people, they, they just won't come out and say it. This guy was bold enough to say, I reject any notion that that's the truth. In that statement, he literally said, Jesus Christ is a liar in what he's saying. Those writings are a lie. And then he goes as far as to say, these are good guidelines to get you to God, but they're not the 100% truth. And he, again, he said, I reject it. How many people in the church are rejecting it not in their words but in their actions and the way we live our lives when we don't let the word of God come in and prick our hearts and change us? Luke
1: six forty
0: six. But why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do the things which I say? I hear it quite often at work all the time. I hear people that you know, they call him the good Lord and they call him the the good book and and things, and people commonly refer to Jesus Christ as as Lord. He's Lord, but they're not willing to do what he says. How many of you know that word Lord means ownership? The Bible says that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. We talked about that this morning, Brother Carl. How many of us are in in this world, we call him Lord, Lord, but not enough to let him Take our life. You know what this means? A lot of us want the Savior, but not a lot of us want the Lord. We want the one over the other. You can't have one without the other. But let me tell you, when you do let him come in and be Lord over your life, I'm telling you, it is a decision you will never regret. There's no better feeling than knowing that you've got the almighty God of the universe, the creator of heavens and earth on your side when all else is against you. And trust me, there's going to come a day. It, and, and it might not be severe persecution. It might just be you and a group full of people being ridiculed for your belief. There's still no greater feeling than walking out knowing that the Lord of heaven and earth is on your side. Why do you think the apostles were able to be martyred. I ask sometimes this question to myself and I look at the church as a whole and I say, how many of us will be able to do what they did? I think it was the apostle James was thrown off at the top of a temple and then clubbed to death when he hit the ground. How many of us will be able to do that? But let me tell you something. James knew this: that the Lord of the heavens and the earth was on his side, and he was Lord of his life. And he knew on the other side, there was not a thing they could do that would compare to the glory he was about to receive in heaven. But don't don't lose hope. I know I'm being hard. I know it's it's hard right now. But don't lose hope. You might be asking now, what do we? do? Well, Tyler, thank you for preaching such a hard message to us and uh, leaving us without hope in this world. Let's flip over to Galatians chapter 5. You may ask, well then what do we need to do? We need to get back to walking by the Spirit. We need to get back to letting the Spirit lead our lives again. Because when the Spirit's leading your life, there's no room for... I know the flesh gets in the way, but when you let the Spirit lead your life, you take out the wiggle room for you to put your opinions in there. When you let the Spirit lead your life, you leave all opportunity for self out. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about in Galatians chapter 5, starting at verse 16. He says, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But yet if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies. I'm just letting you all know, all of these are just branches of sin that we let take hold of our hearts. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murder, drunkenness. Revelries and all the like which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in time past, here we go, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. and those who are Christ, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. We as the church have got to one, if you're not right, we need to get right. And we need to get right with Jesus and let him put his Spirit in us and then get in this Word to know what that Spirit is telling us. And we need to let this be our guiding light. We are in a, what has David said, your Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light into my path. We're in a dark world, but this is our flashlight. This is our lamp, and we have got to get back to letting this be our light in this world. We have got to let the Spirit come in and take hold of us. Andrew Vaughn told me a really good statement the other day. A lot of times we don't like the Spirit to come in because the Spirit cuts deep. And Andrew was talking to me the other day. He said, you know... A cluster of grapes can't bear any more fruit once it's reached capacity, so it's the good tree that gets the knife. Do you understand that? He's got to cut some stuff off so you can keep producing more. Jesus Christ commonly said he prunes those whom he loves. If the Spirit's pruning you, if the Spirit's working on you, keep walking in the Spirit. He's producing fruit that will last in the book of Matthew, in chapter three, I'm a. Uh, I hope you guys are okay with this. I'm littering you guys with scripture because I do not want you for one second to think that Tyler just stood up here and read one scripture and then gave you his philosophies on life. Because if Tyler stood up here and tried to give you his his take and his stance, it wouldn't hit. It wouldn't do a thing. Did I give you Matthew chapter three, Sabrina? All I see is sunglasses. I didn't. Okay, that's fine. I didn't know if I left it off the notes or not. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 4. It says, Now, Judea, now John himself was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come and do his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers, who warns you to flee the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. I want you to pick up there. These are the teachers of the day, and John's just a guy out there eating locusts and honey. And he doesn't address them as rabbi or pastor or good man of God. He addresses them as brood of vipers. But there's a reason. Because the Sadducees were very common about going to ceremonial services but not letting those services impact their heart. They loved to go to places to be seen but never let the words that are spoken really touch their heart. Which is why John leads out in verse 8. He says, Therefore bear fruit worthy of repentance. He's saying, don't just come down here and think because you get baptized, you're all good and whatnot. Don't come down here because here's the thing. John was being a great man of God. Jesus Christ said, no one has arisen. No one out of women has been greater than John. He was being a good man of God because he had people who were getting baptized and touched for a baptism of repentance. And then in comes the people who have been distorting them. And he says, don't think that just because you're coming down here, all of a sudden you're in. He says, bear fruit worthy of repentance. Repent of your ways and have something to show for it. Stop stealing, stop robbing, stop cussing, stop doing whatever it is that you know you should have stopped a long time ago. Have some evidence that you are saved. Lady, do you mind coming up here? if you're all right? I'm sorry, I hope this doesn't distract you from the match. I saw you intently looking. And he says in verse 10, And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I want to focus in on that as I go to this next part. The reason why I'm so passionate this morning about this message for you, and the Lord is so passionate for you to hear it, is because even now people in this world and maybe even in this church, the axe is laid at the root we must understand this, that we are never, ever promised tomorrow. We have become so arrogant in ourselves. And some of us not arrogant, we just go along with life and we just don't realize that every day is a gift from God. The Bible says that in His hand, Job was talking when he responds to his friends, he says, in whose hand is the life of every man and creature If you're in Daniel chapter 5, he tells King Belshazzar, he says, Though you knew these things, you chose not to follow them and serve God in whose hand your very life breath is in. And John is telling these men right now, he's saying right now the axe is laid at the root. What he's saying there is a woodman when he would go to the woods in those days would go and he'd pick a tree and he'd lay the axe down to the tree. And you know the only thing that separated from him and cutting that tree off was taking his shirt off. Because he knew he was about to put in some work. He knew he was about to have a job on his hand. There are people in this world right now who are following a false gospel. Who they know the part where Jesus says, I love you, but they don't know the part that says, go and sin no more. And it's being taught in buildings across America right now. And right now, there are people that the ax is laid to the root and we are passing them every day like nothing's going on. Some of us are the ones that maybe the ax isn't laid to the root, but I sure hope that he ain't walking towards us right now. And we're ignoring these gospel truths. We have gotten away from this knowledge that God... You know what, Lord? Let the truth out. It'll defend itself. God is sovereign, people. There is not one thing that happens that He doesn't allow to happen. Yes, people make their choices, but He ultimately has to allow... He is the one who causes all things to work together and come together. Jesus Christ, God. Think about about Satan when he wanted to tempt Job. We all say that, you know, Satan did this, Satan did that. But did you realize there that God still put parameters around what he could and couldn't do? He'd say, yeah, you do it, but you can only go this far. You do it, but you can't do this. Guys, God is sovereign. And he, our very life breath is in his hand. And if we are not trusting this true gospel of Christ and him crucified and giving it to the world, what are we doing? Because right now the ax is laid to the root of many lives. And John was telling the Pharisees, the ax is laid to the root. And if you don't repent, he's about to start chopping. That is the scariest condemnation you can ever, or judgment you can ever have put down on you. When a man of God, a true, like John the Baptist tells you, your life's about to be taken from you if you don't repent. So he say, well, Tyler, again, what do we need to do? We must preach that truth without compromise, without any compromise. Now, I'm not saying, hear me out, I'm not saying be like Westboro Baptist Church and go out there with signs that, that, that say God hates you and God can't stand you. So I'm not saying be that guy. You hear me out. You better preach it in love because Proverbs chapter 15 says that a harsh word stirs up anger, but a calm word turns away wrath. There is a diplomatic way to go about presenting the gospel. Jesus, the Bible actually says that Jesus never, in Isaiah, when it prophesied about him, it said he won't raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not crush and a, and a smoldering flack he will not put out. Jesus didn't have to raise his voice. He just put it out there. He just delivered the truth, and he stood on it. So hear my heart this morning. I'm not telling you to go find someone who lives a lifestyle different from you and sinning and you just berate them. No, you give them the truth, and this is that truth that Jesus Christ loves you. And Jesus Christ died so that you wouldn't have to live in that sin. He died to give you power over that sin and live a life of abundance. You think you're living a life right now. Because tre- uh, isn't that what everybody wants? Everybody just wants happiness in the world right now, right? We're preaching this message of be happy, yet anxiety and depression is running rampant right now. And it's my belief that it's because they don't have the true life in them. We must preach that truth because right now, people are dying and going to hell by the groves. And I am going to, be, I'm going to be tough on us right here because it is my conviction that if we do not present the gospel truth to them in its entirety when we talk to them, that is on us for not doing that. I'm not saying it's on you to save them because you can preach the gospel in its entirety and people will reject them, but you will be held accountable for not delivering it in its entirety. If you would then pull up Ezekiel 33, 6 then. We got the back up. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet and the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. When you read the book of Ezekiel, you'll find where God charged Ezekiel very many times. He said, now, Ezekiel, I'm giving you the warning, and if you don't give it to these people, it's on you. He told him several times, he said, now when I what I tell you to say, you delivered it in its entirety. Do not hold back. I don't care if they get mad at you. I don't care if they act like they're going to stone you because I've got you in my hand. They ain't going to be able to do a thing to you that I haven't, that I won't allow to happen. But he tells him, but if you fail to deliver the full truth because you're not trusting in me to do my work, it's going to be on you. And Paul even said in Acts, he said, No man's blood is on my hand because I did not shrink to give the full gospel when I was in front of you. Again, I'm not saying you'll save a person, but I'm telling you this if we do not preach the gospel in its entirety, it's on us. And preaching is God's ordained way of getting the gospel out, which is why he says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel. And again in Romans 10, I know we got those. He says, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Now, I want you to know something. Now, preaching is not always behind this pulpit. Understand me. I'm talking about preaching, but preaching is not always. In fact, it's 99% of the time, 98% of the time in your own life when you're with that person. I'm not talking about you need to be up here and start preaching. Just like I'm not. I'm not going to say that. But you're, I'm not saying everyone should be up here behind the pulpit preaching. But you Preach in your day-to-day conversations with other people. And that is God's way of getting that message out. How will they hear without a preacher? Again, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may complete, be complete, thoroughly equipped, for every good work. We must establish in the church what truth is again, and that truth is this word in Jesus Christ. That's exactly right. The truth will set you free. And then two, we have to be willing to live by that truth. And then three, we must be willing to preach that truth. John 3.16 I know I didn't give y'all this one I have this one y'all listen to these words right here for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved hallelujah that that is the gospel that Jesus Christ let me. I want to stop here and I just want to magnify Christ here the Bible says that while we were yet sinners when we didn't want God when we hated the thought of God when we didn't want anything to do with the righteous life Tyler just wanted to go and he wanted to live his adulterous life and get drunk and do whatever he wanted to do when I was yet a sinner Christ died for me should get you excited. Because that goes back to that word intentional that I talked to you about earlier. That it had nothing to do with if Marty was good enough. It had nothing to do if Carlin was doing the right thing. He didn't wait for us to make the move. He went ahead and made the move first. Checkmate. That's what he did. While we were yet sinners, he intentionally came down and walked the walk we couldn't walk so that we could have the life we didn't deserve. That is beautiful. That's why I love the scripture where it says, to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as what is owed. See, when you start to think that I must do something to be saved, when God gives you salvation, you say, oh, well, that's just what I'm owed because I did right. No. Now, while you were yet sinners, he died for you before you did anything right. But then right under that it says, but to the one who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the what? Ungodly. For scarcely. Woo, shoot, I just got chill bumps, y'all. I'm about to find this one for you. Look, I'm telling y'all. This is why this message is so close to my heart, because I don't want one soul to be lost like I was. I don't want one person to be told, you can keep doing this and just accept salvation and be okay. Look, Jesus paid a blood-bought price for you and for me. Why would I want to live the life of the devil when I could live the life with Christ, the one who really does love me? The Bible tells you the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He don't care about me. He's gonna be right there in hell with the rest of them. I don't wanna be with him. I wanna be with the one who loved me. verse 7 of Romans chapter 5 I didn't give y'all this I'm just going here he says in verse 6 for when we were still without strength in due time Christ died for the ungodly for scarcely this is great for a righteous man will one die yet perhaps for a good man somebody might even dare to die y'all remember when Christ said no greater love has a man than this that he lay down his life for his friends but God demonstrates His own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, we wasn't the good man that He would scarcely die for. We wasn't the righteous man. We were the ungodly man. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Hallelujah to Jesus Christ. What I couldn't do when I didn't want Him he did for me and that is the message we must preach to the world why would you want to live in that sin when you can have life and life more abundantly I love that song this morning, you are the one he is the one I was down there, I was down there on my knees praising, I was going Lord you are the one I couldn't have done it you're the only one who could have done it. I've tried to justify myself. I have. And within a week's time, after thinking I've walked perfect, come about that fifth day, all hell breaks loose in Tyler. Y'all think I'm joking, but I'm not. I'm Just because I'm up here talking about this word don't mean my life's not a mess. My wife can tell you. There have been days where just like you talked about one day, Marty, you talked about up here where she had to ask me, how come you're nicer to church people than you are to me? There have been those days. But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. I'm going to finish We're almost done here, y'all. I'm old school. I like to have the actual word in my hand, guys. I'm going to finish out the rest of John 3, starting in verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation. All right, listen to me here. Listen to me. This is the fruit right here that these people bore, and it isn't good fruit. This is what shows they did not really believe in the Son of God right here. And this is the part we leave out with Jesus. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing, there it is again, evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. Don't you see that He does love you and He died for you, but He's showing the genuineness of a man's salvation is not when He hides His sin. People who are afraid to come to God because they don't want their sin to be called sin. He's showing the genuineness of the repentance there, of the repentant heart, and He's showing that people show that they really don't want me by the way they keep walking in darkness with no desire for light because they don't want their sin to be called out as sin. Understand me today, God has a standard this morning. And Jesus loves each and every one of us. If you've got your Bibles with me, I want you to, I want, if you have a phone or a Bible, I want you to turn to this scripture with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2 verse 13. Again, I want you to know this morning I love every one of you. But it is my hope that we'll get to heaven together. We were talking at Mega Sports Camp. For if, if you just want to hear a testimony, a, a young boy got saved at Mega Sports Camp. Several people got saved. But there was one individual that I was talking to, and it was so... God was speaking to me so hard with this young man because I was looking at him and God was trying to teach me something through this young man. He was, whenever I was talking to him about salvation, he was just eating it up and he was soaking it in. And I'm looking at him going, my God, Tyler, why don't you soak it in like that? And God hit me with a scripture and he was just saying, because the faith of a child. And I reached out my hand and I said, we're going to be in heaven together, buddy. And it was like the Holy Ghost was all over, that hand slap. Because he believed it. I believed it. We were thinking about heaven to come. And it was just exciting. The knowledge of the life to come. Why are we not living with that knowledge in mind every day? And when we encounter other people, that I want to see you in heaven with me. I don't want to see you come up short. So I'm going to leave you with the three points, and then I'm going to tell you one final point, guys. Again, I love you. Number one, if we want to reestablish gospel truth in the world today, we must establish what truth is, and we establish it by Jesus Christ being the way, the truth, and the life, and this scripture being our authority, that it is God-breathed, given down to men of God, and given to us. And then number two, we must be willing to live by that truth and let it come in and change our lives. Take hold of us. Remember, you can't have the Savior without the Lord. He is both. And number three, we must preach that truth. And I really want to leave with this. In this world that preaches love so hard. Because that's what we're about now is love one another, love one another, just love. But the love that is being preached now is a love of tolerance that says compromise your beliefs for the sake of love. I can still love somebody and just not agree with them. I can still, Second 2 Timothy 2.13, uh, I can still love somebody just like the man me and my wife had the phone call with. I still love him, but I still stand on this word. And this I will not compromise, but 2 Timothy 2.13 says, If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Church, do not mistake that scripture. This scripture, I've seen it right now in the church today be used out of context many a days. Where they say, if I just go on living the life I am, when I am unfaithful to Him, He remains faithful to me. He does remain faithful to you if you're walking in repentance. If you're allowing yourself to be led by the Spirit. But if you look at the Scripture right before, it says, if we endure, we shall also reign with Him. But if we deny Him, He will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And what it means there is he will not go against his word. That if you don't remain faithful to him and his word, he's not going to remain faithful to you on that day of judgment. You don't get a free pass because God cannot lie. And if he lies for you, his whole word's a lie. And he's saying, if we remain faithless, he remains faithful. Not to save you, but to your condemnation. Because he will not go against his word. And I leave you with this statement. God is love, but he does not love any of us enough to go against his word. He will not go against his word. Church, let's get truth. Let's get the gospel, the true truth authentic Christ and him crucified gospel back out in this world. But we first need to get it back in our lives. Amen. If you would stand with me and I'm going to pray over you this morning. Bow with me this morning. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you. God, we're living in a day and a time, Lord. God, this message sounds harsh, but Lord, the world is looking for genuine Christians. God, there's a reason people aren't flocking to the churches across America because they're looking for the genuine gospel and they're getting a counterfeit. People want the truth, God. Even Lord, Lord, I myself have rejected your truth before I came to the saving grace, but I knew I needed it. I knew I needed that truth in my life and I wanted truth. And God, I pray that you would give everyone in the sound of my voice that truth today. That as they read your word, God, that your spirit will begin to speak to them and breathe on them that truth that the word cannot be distorted, that the word cannot be misconstrued. But God, let truth reign in our lives, God, this morning. So that we can go out and give truth to the world. God, I pray over every person under the sound of my voice, Lord. God, that as they study your word, that truth would reign in their life. And God, that you would just begin to put that truth in their life and prick their heart and draw them unto you, God. And Lord, in those days, wherever they're at, when they're faced with with that moment of presenting the truth... Or not, I pray you would give them the spiritual boldness to not back down, but in love give the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Lord, I've said what you've wanted to be said this morning, and I pray, God, that, Lord, not one, there would be no praise given to me or any other man in this room, but all glory to you. You are the one, and you are worthy of it all. We love you and we thank you. And I just pray that if there be anyone under the sound of my voice, God, that doesn't know you, that today would be their day. God, that if there be anyone in here that is weighted down by the weight of their sin, that they would take today to cry out to you and say, Lord, I need you. With every head still bowed, that the the word of God says that all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That with the mouth one confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the heart they believe that God raised Him on the third day. All you got to do is have faith and trust in Him. Confess your sins and believe. Repent and follow Him. I encourage you, if that's you today, to call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. You will be saved. The word tells us that he will by no means push away those who come to him. All that the Father has given him, he will by no means drive away. Lord, I thank you again for your love and your grace in this place. We give you all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. In Jesus Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.